Welcome to On The Whistle, Africa's biggest braai. And today we take you to North Africa where we're seeing an absolute celebration of women's football with the Women's AFCON taking place. I'm your host, Zayn Nabi, and joining me is our multi-platform journalist, one of our co-hosts, and the man in Rabat, Morocco, Alistair Howarth. Alistair, how are you enjoying your time in the country? What have you been getting up to? Just watching football? <laughs> I wish it was just watching football, to be honest. I've had an amazing time here. I mean, I kind of forget what day it is of the week, don't know what that is anymore, and, and I miss, miss having a, a proper night's sleep. Um, but it's been great. I've been here since the beginning of the tournament, covering most of the games, covering all the games that have been in Rabat, which is two of the groups, uh, of, the th of the three groups, that is, and, and some of the quarterfinals, semifinal last night, and as well as the World Cup uh, qualifier. So it's been a really, really busy, hectic time. You know, my first time covering a kind of major international tournament. So lots of learning, lots of mistakes to be made, uh, but lots of amazing memories to be made as well. I love that take on it. I mean, everything is a teachable moment. Um, before we look back at the incredible semifinals, um, I just wanted to ask you, like, what have you enjoyed the most about Moroccan culture? Or is there food or, or is there, uh, you know, a, a cultural practice? What, is, what has been something that has, like, surprised you and, and you've really enjoyed? I think, I think, you know, we often talk about, you know, African hospitality is such a, a big thing and such a kind of stereotype but man I, this just such a friendly country you know everyone is just so kind you know I I remember having one taxi ride back from from the stadium at kind of almost two in the morning and and the, me and the taxi driver had a great conversation and he wouldn't let me pay um for the taxi ride he just wouldn't I tried we sat there for like try that almost, with a black cab in London <laughs> yeah exactly just <laughs> remarkable um and, and you know just that kind of warm environment of you know people who are you know as well as really passionate about their country is is quite a cool kind of cool thing that you know coming from the UK I'm not always seeing um uh, people who are really really proud to be Moroccan really proud to show me what kind of Morocco is um, and as well as, you know, I've got to say the food is, is sensational, the tagines, the kind of flavors of it. And, and it's also just nice to be in a country where I can get some fresh fruit as well. Um, you know, have some actual mangoes and, and things like that. <laughs> living the dream, living the dream. Well, let's bring it back to the football, Alistair. We had two incredible semifinals, tense, tight affairs. We had South Africa beating their... Um, their, their southern neighbors in Zambia. But the game that captured the attention of the nation and the people was Morocco's incredible win over Nigeria, beating the Super Falcons in penalties, but not before the Nigerians had two red cards. It's fair to say there was a lot of drama in this one. I mean, absolutely. What a crazy game. I mean, First of all, you know, we have to say there's an attendance of over 45,000 fans, which is a woman's African record. Um, so just say that, you know, and these were not just fans who were there for the occasion. They were there to roar their team on to, to the final. You know, every time the Nigerians touched the ball, they were whistling, booing. Um, and honestly, I, I genuinely am not sure if you've ever seen this kind of environment in, in, in a woman's football game anywhere. You know, a true, proper North African hostile environment. 
um, kind of really set the tone. And, and it was a sensational game. You know, the first half was, you know, as you'd expect in a semifinal, cagey, not much going on. But everything changed in the second half when when Ayinde, the, the, the Nigerian defensive midfielder, got sent off for a straight red, um, you know, originally wasn't given, but was kind of spotted by VAR, uh, a stamp on Roselle Ayan, and it, it was the red card, very much so. Um, and then, you know, but the Super Falcons took the lead. You know, they, 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 they played some brilliant football just down to 10 players, and they took the lead. Um, or kind of unfortunate own goal coming off the, the Moroccan defender's face, uh, Yasmin Rabat. Um, but then the Moroccans hit right back. And then just a few minutes later, uh, Nigeria got a second red card for another stamp. This time it was their star player, Rashida Ajibade, who again, kind of not intentional stamp, but the way she planted her foot onto the Moroccans' ankle, you know, it was it was the only way it was going to go. But, but, you know, for those who didn't watch it, the Nigerians, you know, could really feel aggrieved as well because in between those red cards, the Moroccans actually had a similar uh, thing where one of their best players, Fatima Tagno, had another kind of accidental stepping on the ankle of, of one of the Nigerian players. It wasn't quite as bad as the other two, but she was really, she was really, really lucky not to be sent off as well. Um, and just from there was one-way traffic, not the Super Falcons defending for their lives and defending marvelously, so taking the game eventually to penalties where they did just fall short to, to the Moroccans. Incredible host nation in the final. This is what CAF would have wanted. You want your home nation to go far. But then when you look at what happened in the other semifinal, the derby from the south, no, not Zimbabwe, we're talking about Zambia and South Africa. I mean, a really tight, closely contested game. Would you would you have would you have expected that, given South Africa's reputation, given uh, you know how good the team has been in the build up to the tournament? Yeah, I think if if you looked at it on the basis of kind of before, uh, results as well as like you said the reputation that these two teams came into the tournament, it would have you know you would have expected South Africa to completely dominate. You know, they're, they, they're, you know, the second best team in Africa over the last kind of five years. They, you know, Desiree Ellis, who's been on this pod, has built an excellent team. But when you kind of looked at some of their performances this tournament, they really did struggle. You know, they lost Tembi Khatlana, their star player, who's also been on the podcast, um, uh, to, to injury in, in the group stage. And she is so vital to the way they play. Uh, and, and, you know, even against Tunisia in the quarterfinals, a team that they should be beating quite comfortably, they, they lay were really, really nervy in that second half. And Zambia, this this tournament had been sensational in terms of this, this, you know, the standout team, the surprise package. Obviously, they're playing without Barbara Banda, who's, you know, captain, superstar. You know, she was ruled out under DSD rules, um, but they've been excellent. And And I think, I mean, I remember saying this in a preview I did of the game is, they had the tools to, to, to hurt the South African side because South Africa played with a really high line and Zambia are probably the best counter-attacking team at this tournament. Grace Chanda and Mapepa on the wings, just unbelievable pace and, and quality. And they were the better side for most of the game. And, and you know, the it was a last-minute penalty that, I you know, putting it generously was controversial. I, I think Zambians will feel very, very aggrieved. Um, and, and, you know, the South Africans, they... To their credit, they changed things in the second half at halftime. You know, I was saying to someone, you know, Desiree needs to change things. And she did. She made two substitutions that transformed the game. And South Africa were much, much better in the second half. And, you know, probably maybe edged it in terms of the actual performance. But Samuel feels so aggrieved. Um, and, you know, it really sets up a you know, really intriguing tie because 
you know, South Africa haven't been hitting the, the same kind of form that they they hit, you know, in their first match against Nigeria or in the 2018 uh, Africa Cup of Nations. So we have the final set. Having listened to you, I wonder if, and again, forgive this is, if this is a cliche, but you have a team of two very contrasting styles. Would you agree with that assessment? Um, I, I, not, not entirely. I, I think they share a lot more similarities than they do differences, actually. I, I think what Morocco and South Africa are, are by far the two best coach teams at this tournament. You know, Morocco in the build-up to this tournament brought in coach Reynald Pedros, who is one of the most decorated coaches in women's world football. You know, two UEFA Champions League titles with, with Lyon, you know, coach some of the best players in the world like Ada Hedeberg. Um, and, and you can see that, you know, Morocco don't have the same quality of individuals as, say, a Nigeria or a Cameroon, um, but they're really, really well coached, really well organized, defensively solid, excellent on set pieces. Um, whereas South Africa, you know, play a slightly different brand of football, but the same, you can see the imprint of their coach. You know, Desiree Ellis is, you know, the exact opposite of, of Reynald Pedro. She, you know, coming from South Africa, you know, she doesn't have the pedigree of being a European coach and being really successful previously, but she has built an entire team in her image. You know, South Africa definitely play when they're, when they're on form, play the best football of any team in Africa. You know, just watch the highlights of their game against Nigeria to see them play the champions off the park. Um, but both sides, you know, really want to have the ball, you know, on the ground to feed, you know, as Desiree has said, um, you know, she wants to play a brand of football that suits her short team because they're not a tall side. They're not a physical side in that sense. Um, and, and so I think that's what sets up such an intriguing game is, you know, in the in the Nigeria versus Morocco game, you had a team that was super well coached versus a team full of sensational individuals. Um and in, in the South Africa game, you knew you had a, a, t a team that was really, really well coached, really well organized versus another team that, you know, to be fair, Zambia are well coached. Bruce Mafe has a good setup, but they, you know, they, again, they're more focused on getting the ball into Chanda, getting the ball into Mapepa. But quite often with South Africa, you don't know who the player of the match is because they play as such a unit, um, which so I think it's going to be a really interesting game because I think both sides press really high and both sides want to have the ball at their feet. So I think it's going to be a really cagey match because of that. And it's going to be really interesting to see who kind of comes out on top in terms of possession, because I think both teams really want to have the ball, ball at feet. Looking ahead to the final, I have to put you on the spot. Give us a prediction on how the game is going to go and who's going to lift the trophy. No hiding. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's so, so close to call. I think, you know, if, if South Africa had had Tembi in, in their side, I would say they would be favorites going into this because she's ruthless. Um, you know, the one thing I, I forgot to mention that, that they also share in common is these are two of the most wasteful sides. You know, I, I haven't seen any XG at this tournament, but I would be very, very surprised if South Africa weren't bang at the top of kind of chances missed compared to chances created and, and Morocco were a second in that list because the, both teams really lack just a clinical goal, goal score for Morocco. They have Rosella Ayan, um, not another one been on, on this podcast and, and you know I was like, waiting for you to say <laughs> that you've got the hat trick now <laughs> absolutely um uh, and, and for her you know she she's she's an exceptional runner she she runs into the channels really well she creates chances she's really good at that side of the game you know against against Nigeria she created the goal um for for Morocco she didn't get the assist because the, you know her cross was cleared into the path of Musudi but she was the one who was you know creating problems for Nigeria but she's not an out and out goal scorer that's not her game 
Um, and, and same with South Africa, missing Hatlana. They don't have someone who's clinical. You know, they have Jermaine Seopo-Senwe, but she's really the only one who's a natural, natural goal scorer. Um, so I think without a Hatlana, you know, that, that crowd from Morocco is going to be absolutely huge. And I think, you know, they'll be, I think they'll come into this as favorites, which, you know, is something that's shocking to say for, for those of us who've been following women's football here in Africa is the fact that, you know, this Moroccan side could beat Nigeria and will go into a game against South Africa as favorites. Um, but it'll be interesting because South Africa, one of the things we've seen is they've been really nervy against Zambia and against Tunisia. But, you know, if they're playing as for the, you know, second time in this tournament, the first time they were underdogs, you know, they've outplayed Nigeria and now they're probably slight underdogs again. You know, that might favor them in terms of relaxing, playing their football. Um, but if, you know, if you twist my arm and, you know, tell me to predict a winner, you know, I, I think I think I would have to give it to Morocco. Just just, you know, that X factor of having the fans. And, you know, now they've done it against Nigeria in, in terms of penalties. They've, you know, they've overcome the biggest mental hurdle in terms of getting past the team of Nigeria's caliber. And I think that sets them up really well. But honestly, it is on a knife edge as, as this whole tournament has been, to be honest. Well, listen, you've set it up wonderfully. I can't wait to watch it. Obviously, with the horse in the race, I'll be supporting Banyana Banyana. Um, and again, I think we'd probably save this for another podcast and because it's maybe unfair to just ask you this to distill it in one answer. But when you look at some of the takeaways and the wider picture of women's football on the continent, and we also have the qualifiers for, um, you know, uh, for the World Cup and the, for the World Cup and Olympics, if I'm correct, going on. Um, what does this... What, what is your assessment of where we are with women's football um, when, when you sort of do a little bit of a look back at the tournament, Alistair? I think, and, you know, I bang this drum every time I speak anywhere, is, is it's been so competitive. And that is something that has been really new to this competition. You know, I think we had four debutants coming into this tournament. We've expanded it from eight teams to 12 teams. And I think there was a lot of concerns that, you know, bringing in four debutants, there's quite a few teams like Morocco, uh, you know, Uganda, Senegal, who had been at the tournament before, but not for at least 10 or 20 years. So, you know, might as well be debutants. Um, and, you know, missing some of the big hitters like Ghana and Ivory Coast, who both got knocked out by Nigeria in qualifying. You know, there was a sense that there might be, you know, you might be seeing South Africa and Nigeria kind of steamrolling everyone. And it just hasn't been the case. You know, it just has not. Every single team has been competitive. You know, Botswana played, you know, three of the semifinalists plus Cameroon. And they, you know, they were so close to winning so many of those games. And they only lost one of those by more than one goal. They lost 2-0 to Nigeria. And, and, you know, even seeing the likes of Morocco and Zambia, you know, five of the eight teams that qualified for the quarterfinals had never been past the group stage. You know, both Zambia and Morocco had never been to the semifinal. So I think that's one thing is the quality, the standard and the competitiveness of, of the football itself has risen to a level in which I don't think we've ever seen. You know, the fact that an African team could get in a coach of Pedros's quality um, also speaks to where we're coming from. And, you know, as well as seeing someone like Desiree Ellis perform in the way that she has with, with Banyana Banyana. You know, I would say that, you know, we mentioned already that the record attendance, um, you know, that can only be a great thing in terms of getting fans in the stadium, getting that atmosphere, atmospheres that we really rarely ever see on the continent. But, you know, I, I say that there's still so much work to be done, right? You know, so many of these countries still don't have professional leagues, don't have that standard. You know, we've improved a lot over the last few years in terms of national leagues, the structure of the professionalization. 
But, you know, there's still only a few of the teams at the tournament that actually were entirely professional in their setup. And the players who play for them are full-time professionals. And so I think there's still so much work to be done in terms of the investment, as well as, you know, the investment, not just from the countries themselves, but also from people like us, you know, the media, the, you know, the, the sponsors, you know. And I think one thing that's been encouraging is I've spoken to a lot of people who have said, look, this is the first time we've ever covered the uh, Women's Africa Cup of Nations. We've never covered it before, but we're covering it. Um, and, you know, maybe that's the competition riding a bit on the Euro's tail, but, you know, that's great. That's amazing to see, you know, media outlets covering this tournament, which they never would have before. And, and that can only be a good thing. But I think there's still so much in terms of the investment and in terms of the money and infrastructure that needs to catch up with the actual football, because the football itself has been incredibly competitive and has been, been excellent. Thank you for those takeaways, Alistair. And listen, we're looking forward to the final this weekend in Rabat. Morocco versus South Africa is going to be incredible. Send us your predictions. Who do you think is going to win? Hit us up, OTW underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can leave a comment on Facebook or our YouTube accounts by just searching for the On The Whistle podcast. Alistair, enjoy the final. Enjoy the other games that will be going on. There's some qualifiers, a third-place playoff. So really have an opportunity to absorb that and the wonderful hospitality. And we look forward to uh, getting your takeaways once the tournament is over. Um, enjoy Casablanca. Not enjoy Casablanca. Enjoy Rabat. Enjoy Morocco. And uh, yeah. Um, we look forward to following all your updates on social media and wherever we see you on a TV screen these days. <laughs>